Hello, and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. And I know that for some people, they say, God never answers my prayers. That's because you may not have ever prayed a prayer of surrender. I guarantee you God will answer that prayer. There are two things that reveal a man's character, success and setbacks. Consider yourself, how do you handle success and how do you respond to setbacks? In the Old Testament, the Israelites declared their character as a nation when they ignored God in their success and chose other gods in their setbacks. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is in Lamentations to discover what happened. Restore us, O Lord. Father, we come here not to hear the the wisdom of man, but we, we open our hearts now to your word to speak right into our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me as your servant. And I pray that today it would be your voice that's heard and people would leave here saying, what a wonderful saviour you are. And I pray, oh God, that you would cause everyone to say, I was glad that I went to the house of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have bought 400 chairs, which we were assured would be delivered uh, by the opening. We're in Lamentations chapter 5, and this is part of the Jeremiah series. Jeremiah, I I think, is one of the most important prophets in the Old Testament. He features largely in the New Testament when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do men say that I am? The very first prophet they named was Jeremiah. Some say you are Jeremiah. And there's good reason why people would have thought Jesus was Jeremiah come back from the dead. And there are at least 12 identifiable parallels between the prophet Jeremiah and Jesus Christ. So this is a subset of the Jeremiah series. Jeremiah, we've seen, was identified as the prophet who wept in Jeremiah chapter 9. He says, my eyes have become like fountains that weep and weep and weep for people, for the people that he was ministering to. But then as he aged and and as time transpired and the the very thing that he warned Jerusalem about happened, that very thing, we saw that Jeremiah was taken down into Egypt despite telling them not to go. He was forcibly taken down to Egypt and he began prophesying to the surrounding nations. So he became Jeremiah also prophet to the nations. This subset is what happened immediately after his major prophecy was fulfilled. And his major prophecy was that Jerusalem would be destroyed and the temple in particular would be destroyed. Completely unthinkable for the Jews of the 6th century BC, but it happened. Unimaginable, but it happened in exactly the same way when Jesus says in Matthew 24, he repeats that prophecy. He says, not one stone will be left standing here upon another. Again, in his day, that was unthinkable. And in 70 AD, that was fulfilled as well for exactly the same reasons. So this is Lamentations. And here we see Jeremiah giving five chapters. Each verse starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, except for the middle chapter, chapter 3, which repeats each letter three times. That's why there's 66 verses in chapter 3. And if you know anything about the way Hebrews use numbers, when you say something once, you, you, you're kind of saying, if you say it twice, you really mean it. If you say it three times, it's absolutely emphatic. So Jesus would often say, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, you better really listen to this. And of course, God is described in Isaiah chapter 6 as not just holy, which is different and good, but as holy. What do the angels cry out? Holy, holy. No, no other 
nowhere else to go. He is the ultimate expression of holiness. So Jeremiah is making a point by repeating each letter three times, and that's in chapter 3. So this is very, very clever poetry, and five chapters of it, this is poetic prayers. And I, I, I've mentioned this, that I find it interesting that Jeremiah is not just giving content. And if I can encourage, especially, especially young people, but really anyone, rather than being consumers today, and we live in a consumerist world, we live in a world where where we consume and, and we've got all these devices that, that just force us, want to force us to consume and become vegetables and to be amused by everything. And you know, whenever you put the word ah in front of a word, it negates that word. To muse means to think and ponder. To amuse means to don't think about it. And I think the world wants us, I think the world wants to amuse us, just stop us thinking. So what Jeremiah has done here is deep musing. He wants you to think about what he's written. This is utterly profound poetry in these five chapters. And this, this is the concluding message. We're going to conclude the book of Lamentations. And, and I hope that I've shown you that it actually is relevant. In fact, it's scarily relevant. You know, sometimes it takes times of distress and war for people to get their act together spiritually. Isn't that a shame? But it's true. And part of my, my message to the, to the ushers team, the service tenants team this morning was, we actually are in a time of war. And the, the enemy is waging a war against the church. And the enemy's weapons is, is a, to, to put a, a blanket spirit, a spirit of self-centred apathy that refuses to serve anyone else. But I think we're called as a church to break that spirit. How do we break it? By being Christ-centred, to be true worshippers, that manifests by putting our energy into serving others in the name of Christ. That's how we do exactly the opposite to what the enemy wants to do. That's spiritual warfare. And I think the, the enemy is absolutely thrilled if he can distract you from worshipping Christ and get your focus and attention on him. He don't care if you yell at him, as long as you don't adore Christ. So we are in a spiritual warfare. This is a time of war. And we're going to see something here in Jeremiah where this message is, Restore us, O Lord. Is this a time when this city was under oppression? Oh my goodness me, the whole thing had been destroyed. Yes, it was a demonic field day. Absolutely. Does Jeremiah yell and scream at the devil? No. His whole focus and attention is on God. The whole thing of Lamentations is saying, God, we failed. This is why it happened. You told us it would happen. We ignored you and here it's happened. And so this is his closing prayer. The last two verses of the entire poem is a plea to God to restore us, God. He's still looking to God. You know what this tells me? There's always hope in the midst of absolute tragedy. And if you are here today and, and you have experienced tragedy, you, you've experienced what we, we might describe as hopelessness. You can see no way out. You need to know today there always is. With God, there always is. There's always hope. There's always hope. And that is hope is a positive expectation of the future with God. We're going to see that in, throughout this, we can step back now as we, as we conclude this, and we can see there's really two things that God uses to test what's in your heart. I think of that, that verse, that, that scary verse in Hezekiah, what well, we're talking about Hezekiah, 
where it says, And God withdrew from Hezekiah. Anyone know that verse? God withdrew from Hezekiah to test what was really in his heart. Isn't that interesting? God withdrew from Hezekiah to test what was really in his heart. What does God do to test what's really in our hearts? And as someone said, it's not because he needs to know. It's because we need to see it. What's really in our hearts. And my concern is that we can be here on a Sunday lifting our hands in surrender to God in worship. And as we're walking out of this place, we can swear at our kids, abuse our wives. We can act like absolute tyrannical megalomaniacs to those we work with on a Monday morning. And can I tell you, that's a complete disconnect between what it looks like to truly worship God. Because if you worship God, it changes your heart on the inside. And it's most evident on a Monday morning, not just a Sunday morning. There are two things that reveal who you really are. Two things that reveal who you really are. And Jeremiah has shown us that the city of Jerusalem over these 50 or so years that he's been prophesying to them has had both of these things reveal who they really are. Jerusalem's character when they experienced these two things was evident to all. Absolutely evident to all. The two things that reveal who you really are, what's really in your heart. The first one most of us actually pray for, success. Imagine if I could ask you, what would success be to you? And you give me your list. It could be to have all my debts paid, to have money in the bank and not to have a financial worry. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. Who would like a bit of that? Be nice, wouldn't it? But, and please don't misunderstand me here, I think success is one of the most dangerous times in any person's life. How do I know that? Because I used to play semi-professional tennis and I see these young professional tennis players who have a, a taste of success. And what does it do to them? Many of them, it ruins them. Absolutely ruins him. Boris Becker won his first Wimbledon at the age of 17. He won the next one at 18. He won the next one at 19. By 20, he was suicidal. The pinnacle of world success. And it nearly caused him to suicide. Success is a real test. I wonder how many, I wonder how many people in this room are prepared to pass that test. Who wants to succeed? I would love to succeed. But who wants the character to be able to handle that success? Let's have a look at how that happens. Here's the second thing that God uses to test what's really in your heart. Setbacks. Who embraces setbacks? But don't they test what's really in your heart when things go wrong? Oh, how I love Jesus. The peace of God just floods my heart. Something goes wrong. Now we'll see if the peace of God floods your heart. Because it's easy when there's no setback. But I think God allows his children to experience setback. And I know that's not going to sell well on TV, that message. That's why you know, I'm not a televangelist. Because that's just not going to work. God ordains for his people to experience setback. Why? I think one of the reasons why is because he wants to show the world the difference in how they handle setback and how people who know him handle setback. And there is a difference. Setbacks. 
reveal who you really are. It also shows what you really value. I deeply admire people who battle through setbacks because that tells me who they really are. God will often test your heart with a little success to see whether you can handle great success. You ever met someone really, 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 really successful and they were a really nice person? Because I have found that success is often, not setbacks, success is often the ruin of people. So God will often test you to see if you can handle a little bit of success. You might think, is that just your idea? No, actually, Jesus said it. He said it in this story. Matthew 25, verse 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a what? A little. Therefore, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And don't we see this all through scripture? Moses was faithful with a bunch of sheep. God set him over a nation. David, King David, was faithful over a few sheep. Then over a few men. Then God set him over a nation. We see this over and over through scripture. God gives people a little success to see how they'll handle it. And if they handle it well, he blesses them with more. I've, as a pastor, I've heard people say this, I can't afford to give now, but when I'm better off financially, then I'll give. And I just think instantly, if you ever tell me that, just know this is what I'm thinking when you tell me that. No, you won't. Because whatever you do now is what you'll continue to do. Give someone $1,000 or give them $100,000 or give them a $1 million. The, the number of zeros on that amount is irrelevant. You'll do what you do now. You'll just have more zeros attached to it. So, your choice. Will you steward well the little success that you have? God actually warned Israel about this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is, is one of the most beautiful, beautiful fatherly chapters that God has given in the Bible. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 17, God says... Oh, in that whole chapter, he says, I want to bless you with abundance, my children. I don't want you to have any lack. I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. You won't have to strive like the surrounding nations. I'm going to look after you. You're going to have abundance when you come into this place. Your wives will have many, many children. And you will have lots of livestock, lots of cattle, lots of silver and gold. You will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. Oh, and by the way, only if you beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might and my hand have gotten me this wealth. If, you, if you're wondering, hmm, how can I not steward the little success that God gives me well? Well, that's how you do it. You claim credit. You claim credit. You want to know how to handle it well? Here's, here's the conclusion to the message before I even get to the conclusion. Just flip that for a minute. Any success you get... Ascribe glory to God for it. Give him thanks for it. Ascribe credit to him. You know, when you're reading through the book of Revelation, it says things like this. They fell down and worshipped and they said, All power, all glory, all dominion and all authority be under him. You know what they're saying? All of those things, power, glory, dominion, authority, all those things God had given them in some measure. And these worshippers say, uh-uh. 
All of that comes from you. All of it. So you could be in worship and you could reasonably say, if you want to steward success well, all provision, every thread of clothing I have, every toy I have, every motor vehicle I have, everything I own comes from you, oh God. That's worship. And it also does something in your heart. It tells you who's boss and who's really God. So there's the warning, Deuteronomy 8, 17. And if you haven't got Deuteronomy 8, 18 underlined, because Deuteronomy 8, 18 says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get what? Wealth. Now, I know that there are some right out on the left of politics and the left of Christianity who say wealth is of the devil. Well, why would God enable people to receive it? He wants to bless his children. But listen to the danger in that previous verse. He says, but here's my fear. and here's, Not that God fears. Here's my concern for you. If I do, you'll forget me. You'll think you did it. You'll think it was by your hard work. You'll think it's all credit to you, all glory to you, all praise and honour to you. (laughs) The arrogance of it. That's why it says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So any wealth you have came from where? God. And most of us are in the top 5% of wealthiest people on the planet. And most of you go, oh, no, it's not me. I'm just not. Yes, you are. And if you don't know that, I I can only think you haven't travelled the world very far at all. Because there is abject poverty that would break your heart. And we are so blessed here. So God will often test your hearts, not just with success, but with setbacks as well. And I, I have found... In fact, Kim and I sort of have an uh-oh, what's coming up moment. Whenever we have moments, a little season of success, you know, little seasons of provision, little seasons of success, it's like, okie dokie, we've been on this road long enough to know something's about to happen. And both of them are tests. God will often test your heart with setbacks. You lose your job. The doctor's report is cancer. Family strained relationships, setbacks. So when Israel, the capital, Jerusalem, when they experienced success, what happened to them? Think of the most successful king. Who was the most successful king of Israel? Solomon. Easily, right? Easily. And look what happened to his heart. Look what happened to the city. They neglected God. They neglected God. Did you know on any... Now, please, this is not a judgmental thing. This is a pastoral concern for you. I'm trying not to preach at you. I'm trying to pastor you this morning. And my fear, my concern is that if God granted you, sometimes if he granted you the very thing you were praying for, that success would ruin you. And how do I know that? Because I see some people get success and they begin to neglect God. They begin to back off the house of God. They begin to back off their daily devotions. They begin to back off their spiritual disciplines. How should I pray for you when I see that happening? Someone tell me, not right now, because I don't think you want to hear the answer. How should I pray? How should God respond when he sees, hang on, these blessings weren't meant to make you slack. 
These blessings were meant to make you grateful. You were meant to steward these blessings. God told Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. And that's still God's heart. He wants to bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. So when Israel experienced a little bit of success, we read through Jeremiah. In those moments, they began to neglect God. What did they do when they experienced setbacks? They turned to other gods. The three big issues of Jeremiah, idolatry, immorality, and ignoring God's word. When, when it got tough, they sacrificed their babies in a furnace just on the other side of the temple wall, down in a valley called the Valley of Hinnom, in Greek, Gehenna, where there were flames and people being thrown in as sacrifices to Molech. And Jesus takes that picture and uses that word Gehenna to describe hell as the ultimate fruit of idolatry, turning to other gods apart from him. What are we supposed to do in our times of setback? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 8, again, verse 19, here's God's heart. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. And they did. You keep reading on through Deuteronomy. Moses declares from God that what Jeremiah declared was happening would happen. You go after other gods, you neglect me, you forsake me, I will send in other nations who will strip you out of the land and the land will vomit you out, it says. Because I know that there are some people who go, oh, the Holy Land belongs to Israel. No, the Holy Land belongs to God. It's God's. He's the landlord. Israel was the tenant under the old covenant. Please do not think anyone is justified in killing a Palestinian or an Arab because that used to be a biblical boundary of Israel. Please don't think that. And God says, you'll perish if you forsake me. And they did forsake him and they were taken out of the land. Jeremiah had been pleading with the people, pleading with them to remember God. As it says in Deuteronomy 8, remember and worship. And how had they responded? They'd become arrogant and proud. And one of the surest symptoms of an arrogant, proud, yet religious heart is you neglect God. You just neglect God. You neglect to come to the house of God because, well, it's, you need to sleep in or there's something better on TV or whatever. Jeremiah had been pleading with them to look to God as their saviour in the times of setbacks. The next time things go wrong and you cry out to God for help, can I tell you, you are doing a good thing. The devil may put it into your heart or say to you that you need to fix this problem because you created it. How many of you have, like I've done, prayed that we lose weight? without owning the fact that we got here in the first place all by ourselves. It's sometimes times like that when you've actually created the problem that you actually need God to get you out. And I think that's a reasonable thing to do. To turn to him as saviour. Saviour doesn't mean save you from your sins. It means save you from yourself. Save you from whatever. Turn to God as saviour. 
Proverbs 3, 5. Beautiful. Chapter 3, Proverbs is just so rich. And it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Acknowledge him. There's, there it is. That, those two verses right there are the key for how you should handle success and the key for how you should handle setback. Be in relationship with him. Be in relationship with him. I think God withholds what we might call blessing from many people because he knows it would be the ruin of them. So here's the challenge. Can you steward the blessing that God gives you? We see that Jeremiah interceded on behalf of the people of Jerusalem. He interceded on behalf of Israel, Jerusalem being their capital. And this was his prayer. And it's just fascinating. He said, God, restore us. Restore us as in the days of old. Restore us. Jeremiah longed to go back to what they had. Can we just wind back the clock and go back to that point in time when we were doing okay? And I cannot find one instance where God ever answers a prayer like that. Ever. God's answer to our cry, God, can we just go back in time to when I was happy and content and everything was okay? And God's answer is, no, my child. What you've gone through, you had to go through so that you and I can walk closer together into the future. And here's what we're going to see in these last two verses of Jeremiah. You might want to see this in your Bible. Chapter 5, verse 21. Here's the prayer of Jeremiah. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. But you know, that's not the last verse. It's not the last verse. And this is what I really like about Jeremiah at this stage of his life. It's what I really, really like. He more or less bows his knee to God and says, But God, you know what's Best. How does he say it? He says it in verse 22. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Jeremiah is not trying to dismiss what had happened. And he is asking, oh God, is it possible to be restored? Is it? Unless you have a better plan. And I know that for some people, they say, God never answers my prayers. That's because you may not have ever prayed a prayer of surrender. I guarantee you God will answer that prayer. You surrender to God, try this one. Oh, God, have your way in my life. Make me, break me, mould me, shape me. Have your way in my life. I yield everything I have to you. Even when I resist you, break my will and have your way in my life. You ever prayed a prayer like that? I guarantee you God will answer it. And I guarantee you this, you'll never regret it. I guarantee you that he knows better than you do what's in your interest. And it begins with a prayer, a prayer of surrender. No matter how badly you have messed your life up, no matter how far off track you have got, you may feel like you are a million miles from God, but you're not. You're only one step and it's a prayer. One step. Jeremiah concludes this book of Lamentations with a prayer and it's a prayer of surrender. And here's my question to you. 
Because I want every one of you to succeed and to steward that success well. I want as your pastor that when you go through setbacks and disappointments and heartaches and tragedy for you to handle setback well. I've told you and some of you know the family I'm, I'm about to do a funeral for someone who hasn't died yet and they came and saw me and, and they wanted to put things right in their life. The mistakes, the strained relationships, the things they've done and what a privilege to be with someone. And I said, thank you for letting me help you to die well. But you know, not many of us will have that opportunity. Death will come knocking when you least want it, expect it or are even ready for it. So here's my question. Where is God in the times of your successes or your setbacks? Is he right beside you or do you have to look? If you have to look, you let go of his hand. How do you hold his hand in times of success? Father, thank you. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for the things you've given me. Thank you for the provision you've given me. Hold his hand. Thank you. Where is he in the setbacks? Reach up and take his hand. One prayer. Father, I surrender my life to you. Will you please take my hand and guide me into the future? I need your help to deal with this right now. I don't know if I can. So how do you respond in times of success or during setbacks? It's a test of your character. More from Dr Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Restore Us, O Lord, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.